Let us pray. Risen Lord, come stand on the beach of our lives and feed us with your life-giving bread. We have told all night and become hungry. We have become disillusioned and weighed down by our sins and our failures. And we are hungry for renewed vision and direction. Breathe your life-giving spirit on us once again. Assure us of the power of your love that restores our lives and renews our calling that we might follow after you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Trinity. Good to see your faces in church this morning. Oh man, I'm feeling really great. I was feeling really bad just before you called, but something happened and everything changed. This is the way a phone call started for me on Thursday. I was speaking with a friend of mine who had served with us in ministry back in Los Angeles and has since moved to Detroit to join a a church planning team there. And he was recounting to me how something had been hanging over him all week long And now all of a sudden, something was found as he was suddenly feeling good about life again. I think we've all probably had an experience like this. His church plant, like ours, rents, uh, you know, from another entity, and they had the, he had in his hand the all-precious master key. And he, he went home on Sunday with that all-precious master key in his pocket and woke up on Monday and could not find the key. And so this was hanging over him all week. What's going to happen? We can't find the key. And just before we spoke on Thursday morning, he went back to the place in the, on the lawn where he had been wrestling with his boy after church and found the key right there in the, in the grass. And suddenly, he's feeling good about life again. And we all know what it feels like, right, to have something hanging over you. Maybe it's just something you lost. Maybe it's a relationship that feels strained. And then all of a sudden, it goes from feeling really bad to feeling really good. Well, today's gospel is about something even much heavier than that, even a serious weight being lifted up by God's restorative love. I'm going fishing, says Peter. We'll come with you, say the rest of the disciples. Now, you might remember that the disciples began in small town Galilee, and then they joined up with Jesus' ministry, and they headed on down to the big city, Jerusalem, to make it in the big city. And of course, things happened in Jerusalem, maybe not quite as they expected it. Of course, they have seen the risen Lord, but their careers haven't quite taken off yet. And now they find themselves back in their hometown. Peter moved back from Brooklyn into his mom's basement in Brookhaven. (laughs) Peter is going back to what he knows, and that is fishing. Is that a bad thing? Well, some commentators think so. They read this and they think, okay, Peter's been given a mission, he's been breathed on by the Spirit, and now he finds himself kind of going back to not the thing that he's called to do. But I like how one commentator put it. One commentator said, when we don't know the next thing to do, sometimes 
Sometimes it's enough to do simply what is necessary and trust that Jesus will meet us there and guide us on the way. Well, what's the next step, Lord? Well, we don't know yet, but we know we have to eat, right? So let's go fishing. Maybe it's not a lack of faith. It's putting one foot in front of the other and believing that God is going to meet you in the ordinary stuff of life. Doing the laundry isn't your calling. That's okay. Sometimes we just fold clothes in faith while watching Hulu, trusting that God is going to open doors. Now, I imagine that this routine letting out of nets and pulling them back in for Peter is somewhat of a therapeutic action. You guys know this kind of thing when you're doing something that you know really well and so you don't have to think about it and maybe it allows his mind to process the variety of emotions that are passing through Peter's head. As one New Testament professor put it, the Lord has risen, but the Lord has not risen for Peter. And what she meant by that is that Peter has indeed seen the risen Lord when he appeared to the apostles, and he was there when Jesus breathed the Spirit on them. But there was still some unsettled business, wasn't there? I want you to imagine being called by Jesus, being forgiven, being loved, being set apart for his purposes, seeing him teach and heal, feed thousands of people, and imagine telling him that you're actually going to die for him, that you're willing to give everything for him, only to deny him three times before his death. The resurrection for Peter indeed would have brought him great joy because it's a reversal of all the evil that man did to Jesus and it's the vindication of God that everything he did through Jesus. But the resurrection also would have only underscored Peter's failure. The resurrection confirms just how much Jesus blew it. He should have known better. He should have trusted the God who raises the dead to new life. So as he does the mundane work of pulling in the nets and letting them back out again, there's this thing that's hanging over him. It's weird between him and Jesus. There's an overwhelming sense of guilt and shame and failure. And the worst part of it is, there's no promise that Jesus is gonna show up again. There's no promise that things are going to be resolved. And many of us have been there, right? Things go wrong in a relationship. Maybe you know it's mostly your fault, but you don't know what to say or what to do to make things right again. And you're not sure that they're ever going to be as good as they were before. And so you just put one foot in front of the other and you go fishing. The text tells us just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach. I love the imagery there. After a long night comes transformation. The light of the sun is starting to break through. And friends, it is a new day. 
as we will see in so many ways, this scene is so familiar. It's kind of in some ways all happened before, yet now in light of the resurrection, we see that even these very familiar scenes have undergone a transformation. Jesus stood on the beach, but his disciples did not know it was Jesus. The resurrected Lord is still the same Jesus, and he is somehow different. And he keeps showing up to them unrecognized. And so Jesus says to them, children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, nah, we ain't caught nothing yet. That's how real fishermen talk, okay? I'm from that part of Louisiana. I know how they talk. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it because there were so many fish. Now, does this story sound familiar? Remember like a, maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months ago, we had a similar, very similar to this about a story when the disciples were fishing all night long, didn't catch anything, suddenly Jesus shows up and now there's more fish than they can haul in. Sounds familiar, right? And so John notices, wait up, something's happening again. We know this story. We've been here before with someone. We know who does this. And so he says, Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter is excited. He doesn't even think. He doesn't hesitate. He jumps back in the water and he swims to Jesus. It's another chance to see the Lord that he loves. And it appears there might be a sign of hope that things aren't over after all. And so the text tells us that when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, hey, bring me some of that fish you just caught. That's such a funny word out of the, word, the mouth of Jesus. This story is powerfully retelling Peter's story and his life with Jesus. There's so much in this story right here that is recapped from Peter's life. And if ever you've watched the play Hamilton or read a similar book or some similar story, you know the power of retelling a narrative. You know how narratives have a way of sustaining certain ideas in our culture, and you know how when you retell a story, it has a way of subverting that very story. And this is what Peter is, Jesus is doing with Peter's life. Peter has a narrative about his own life, and he actually has many of the facts in the events correct. It's just that the way he's telling the story means that he hasn't yet fully understood God's redemptive purposes. He hasn't fully understood the power of Jesus's restorative love. And so Jesus shows up to retell Peter's story to him. And friends, if you don't walk out of here with anything else, I want you to at least walk out of here knowing that your story isn't over. In fact, it's likely that the way that you're thinking about your sins and your failures and your shortcoming really isn't the way that Jesus is thinking about them. And I want you to know that Jesus is here and he wants to retell your story. And where, where you see failure and missed opportunities, he wants you to see a story of someone that is deeply 
loved by God. A story about someone who is not perfect, but who God is determined to use as his instrument in the world, despite all of your imperfections. So this story is a recap of Peter's life with Christ. As we mentioned, when Christ first called Peter, it was after a long night of catching fish. Remember that? And then Peter runs up and says, away from me, I'm a sinful man. What does Jesus say? No, come follow me. You've been fishing for fish. I'm gonna make you fishers of people. I want you to follow me. I want you to share in my work in the world. I'm going to teach you how to be a source of good news, how to announce God's grace and forgiveness, how to let the Holy Spirit flow through you so that you become a source of God's healing in the world. Jesus is grilling fish and baking bread. And it reminds us of a story when Jesus is teaching the people, right? And there's this boy there with, he's got like two fish and some loaves. And Jesus takes it and he multiplies that fish and that bread for 5,000 people. And Peter would have been there and he would have seen it. And also in the scene, Jesus is, is bent down and he's serving the disciples. He's there as one who serves. He's cooking food for them, right? This time he's serving as a grill master, right? He's grilling up some fish, he's baking bread, and he's serving them. And Peter would have been there and seen Jesus' servant-hearted ways of life. He would have been there as Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. I find it amazing that the risen Lord, even in his glorified state, is still living in the world as one who serves. And not only that, also as one who eats with the disciples. As one commentator put it, lordship includes fellowship. I really like that. Lordship includes fellowship. You know, this isn't the Eucharist. But there are echoes of the Eucharist in this story of breaking of bread. The Eucharist is, after all, communion with the risen Lord in the midst of his people. This encounter with Jesus, like so many before it, demonstrates, one, his lordship over creation, right? He's the one that speaks to the wind and the waves. He's the one that makes a miraculous uh, catch a fish happen. It speaks of his servant ways. Even after the resurrection, he's still serving. Three, it reminds us of his character of gracious giver of abundance. Remember the wine at Cana. Remember how it was overflowing. Remember all the baskets left over after he fed. He's a God of abundance and grace. And fourth, I want us to focus in on this one. It demonstrates his restorative love. You see, friends, it's not just fish. It's grilled fish on a charcoal fire. And if the miraculous catch of fish reminds Peter of his original calling, a charcoal fire is the very thing that's gonna remind Peter of his denial of the Lord. Because if you remember the story, it was over a charcoal fire 
as Peter was sitting around with a group of people outside of the temple courtyard on the night our Lord was betrayed and arrested, where some little girl says, hey, weren't you with him? And he said, no, that wasn't me. And then another guy, no, I think you were with him. He says, I don't know the man. And three times over a charcoal fire, Peter denies Jesus And so, once again, as they stand over a charcoal fire, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Okay, feed my lambs. A second time he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Jesus says a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter feels hurt because he has to say it a third time. And he says, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then he goes on to talk to him about the kind of death that he's gonna undergo, how he's gonna have a death very similar to his death and how one day he's gonna grow older and stretch out his hands and someone's gonna tie him up and he's not gonna be able to go where he wants to. And verse 19 says, he said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And after this, Jesus says to him, follow me. Now, this is a painful but healing conversation Jesus has with Peter. It's kind of like heart surgery. It hurts, but it leads to life. And Jesus does two really important things here. One, he gives Peter an opportunity to affirm his love for him. You see, Jesus knows that Peter needs to know I'm sorry, Jesus knows that Peter needs Jesus to know that Peter loves him. Jesus knows that Peter needs Jesus to know that he loves him. Maybe some of you need to hear that too. Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Jesus knows that you love him. He knows about your love. He knows your love for him. He doesn't doubt the relationship and you don't have to doubt it either. Peter, I knew when I first called you that you would deny me three times and yet I still called you. Now I'm gonna let you confess your love for me three times to reaffirm our relationship. I've always understood your strengths and your weaknesses. Your failures haven't caught me off guard and they haven't disqualified your calling. So one, Jesus gives Peter an opportunity to affirm his love for him. And finally, Jesus reaffirms Peter's calling. Peter was supposed to be the rock on which Jesus was gonna build the church, the lead disciple. After Peter messed up big time, some of us might expect Jesus would move on to some other disciple to get the job done. But it turns out that forgiving people like Peter was actually the very agenda of the Messiah. 
He died so that Peter could be forgiven. God's grace is sufficient enough to sustain Peter's calling. What does Jesus say? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Basically, he's saying, I want you to carry on my work in the world. Remember what I taught you? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. There was a time when Peter was boasting out of self pride, out of pride and self-importance that he was willing to die for Christ. But instead, Christ, the good shepherd, laid down his life for Peter. And here we witness the power of the death and resurrection of our Lord. It is the transforming power of restorative love. Jesus affirms Peter and he says, it's true, you do love me and you will eventually demonstrate your love and your willingness to follow me to the point of death. And the Romans are gonna do to you what they did to me. And just as my death was a death that glorified God, so will you glorify God in your death. Friends, I don't know about you guys, but this story really hits home with me on a number of levels. Part of it for me is that I know that I've been called to Jesus and that Jesus has called me to do a few things, like he's called you guys, right, to do a few things in the world. But I also know that I've screwed it up a lot. And I've, I've screwed up pretty big. And to hear a story about like this, about someone like Peter, who's really just screwed up about as much as you think you could possibly screw it up, and to see Jesus not give up on Peter, but to affirm God's grace and the power of his restorative love really touches me. A number of years back, before I went into ministry, I was a part of a really dynamic ministry led by a really dynamic leader. And this leader was a great pastor, a great preacher. And inside of this ministry, there were all kinds of great things happening. Folks were coming to faith. People were growing and getting discipled. Racial reconciliation, general, uh, just genuine fellowship. Folks were, were really uh, coming together, the kind of things you would want to see in any good ministry. And my life has been formed in so many ways by that pastor and his ministry. And yet that pastor had a certain reputation. And, and folks would talk about it, and it went kind of like this. Like, folks knew that as long as you kind of did everything right and didn't break any rules and didn't mess up big, you were gonna be good with him. But it was kind of like one and done with him. Like if you kind of cross the line, if you have a failure, you're still gonna be around the ministry, you know? You might even still be leading that group or whatever you're doing. But there was a certain sense in which you were no longer gonna be in the inner circle. If you had messed up or maybe if you had challenged him on something, he was the kind of guy that wasn't really gonna give you a second chance after something big. 
And if ever you've worked with people, you can actually see a lot of wisdom in that, can't you? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, we say, right? Friends, character change is a very slow process. And it's true that some people indeed are not willing to submit themselves to the hard work of long-term grace-based transformation. I was the kind of person who was definitely gonna make some big mistakes and who was definitely gonna challenge leadership on a few things. And so I did. And it left me wondering where things were in the relationship. It also left me wondering, why be in the ministry in the first place if you don't believe that our God is a God that can change people's hearts and lives and characters? Shortly after that, I went to work with another ministry team And this pastor was very different. This pastor had a certain patience with people. He made space for people on his team that other folks might think of as unqualified. I watched him exercise patience and grace and restorative love with some folks that you and I might have quit on a long time ago. And eventually, my time came to screw things up and to make some mistakes and to do some things that I'm ashamed of. And there he was, ready to acknowledge my failures, to call me out on my character and to extend God's grace and forgiveness and to affirm that God was still calling me despite my shortcomings. There are friends who love you, and then there are friends who really know and love you. And they really know all your shortcomings. They know your flaws. They know the ways in which you've screwed it up big time. They've seen you at your absolute worst, and yet they love you, and they believe in you, and they see your profound worth, and your potential for goodness. And these are the friends that help us grasp what God's love is like for us. Maybe you're here and you've really screwed it up big time. You've sinned against God and against your neighbor. You live with some really deep shame It's always lingering on the horizon. Like Peter, you believe in the resurrection, but you can't experience the joy because the guilt and the shame of your failures are hovering over your life. Friends, I want to remind you that Jesus was not surprised when you let him down. Your failures haven't disqualified you from doing the things he's planned for you. It's his restorative love that qualifies you. What if Jesus is on the beach of your life this morning, wanting you to know that he knows you love him? 
What if he is reminding you that your sins haven't disqualified you from the race he called you to run? Can you hear the risen Lord re-upping your enrollment in his school of discipleship? Can you see him, even after your major failures, giving you greater responsibility than ever before? What if he knows you're ready to risk it all for him this morning? Can you hear him say, you are forgiven. It's not over. It's only the beginning. The love that flows from my cross-shaped heart transcends all failures and forgives all sins. Can you hear him saying, not for the first time, but perhaps in a way that sounds new like you've never heard it before, follow me. Amen. Let's take a moment of silence as we reflect on what the Lord might be wanting to say to us in this time.